Hey guys, before we get to the mysteries, we want to tell you about another podcast that we think you're really going to like. Check it out. Ever wonder what happened to the actor from the 80s movie that you love? What about the director of the 70s splatter film that turned your stomach? Or how about the model that starred in your favorite MTV video? I'd like to invite you to join me, Sean Riley, the host of Second Acts Podcast, on the first of each month as we check in with some of the most memorable faces you've forgotten to see what's going on in the second acts of their lives. You can check out Second Acts Podcast on your favorite podcast app as well as on YouTube. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook page for bonus content as well as ways to interact with the show. As Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, there are no second acts in American lives, but there are on Second Acts Podcast. Here's to your second act. I'm Samantha. I'm Liz. And we're here to talk to you about some fucking mysteries. <laughs> we sure are. <laughs> we are watching, re-watching in my case, watching in Samantha's case, the classic Robert Stack episodes off of Amazon. The only Amazon. one's worth watching. Sorry, yeah. Dennis Freena. Yeah, pretty much. We're on episode 10 this week. Yes. And episode it's a 10. weird episode. <laughs> I, I can't believe we hadn't gotten to an alien yet. This is our first. 10 episodes in and we're just getting to aliens. I feel like as Unsales Mysteries goes on, it becomes more and more aliens and less and less missing women. I think that's true. So, Travis and I are on season three and there's quite a few alien episodes. Okay. As I, as I must, recall. This one must have been popular. I think aliens are popular with the general public. I mean, we did. Are they my favorite mystery? No. Not really. Not really my favorite mystery. No. Despite my youth of watching The X-Files, which clearly Chris Carter watched this episode I of think, Unsolved yeah. Mysteries was, and then you made can see the X-Files <laughs> because the first episode of The X-Files is about missing time and so is this episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. I'm on you, Chris Carter. I got <laughs> it figured out. Yeah, I like that we had promo photos of us taken with a giant inflatable alien. Yeah, this is the first one about an alien. Yeah, where's Robbie Stacky? We need him in here for this <laughs> he's, episode. He's like wilting, half deflated <laughs> on the porch. I should probably just deflate him and like put him in a drawer somewhere. But you could get a giant frame and put him on your wall. I should just hang him from the ceiling or something. Okay, these are good options. Could for... hang him up in here some somewhere. He seems special, like too special to just put in your creepy basement. Yeah, I agree. Basically, nothing should go down there. Wow. My basement has like a dirt crawl space. What are the odds that there is a body in there somewhere? Probably pretty high. I have not. I'm never gonna look, so we'll never know. <laughs> Because it's also this like... This basement is so creepy. I almost don't even want to come in her house because this basement exists. <laughs> hey! <laughs> just kidding. Well, no, that's fair. I mean... <laughs> it's fair. And it's probably haunted. It's probably haunted. I mean, the house is old. So... I do have an extremely minor update. Okay. Perhaps the minorest update of all time. Oh, wait. No, I don't. <laughs> what? What was it going to be? <laughs> I... We're recording this out of order. Oh, don't tell them this. <laughs> that I that I was going to make an update to something that I think was for episode 11. You could do a pre-update. A pre-update. Like a pre... So this is what happened, you guys. So Liz <laughs> is going to be out of town. We just... Episode 9 is going to come out this week. 
we we usually record on the weekend, so we should because Liz is gonna be out of town. We should have recorded pre recorded episode ten, but for some because I can't count. We did eleven. I said we're gonna do episode eleven, so we both watched episode eleven. We both took notes on it. We recorded it, and then the next day realized that we should have done that. Ten comes after nine. I <laughs> neither one of us realized it. I didn't think it made sense, but I had complete and utter faith in Samantha. And Which I was, was like, Liz's first mistake. <laughs> I was like, if that's what Samantha says, I don't understand I how that works. Math. Okay. But There's a reason I'm a writer. Because I li- I can't do math. I don't see why we would skip from nine to eleven, but if that's what Samantha says to do, I'm gonna do it. No questions asked. I got like a D plus in the only math class I took in college. <laughs> that was like like seven years ago. Oh, I didn't even take math in college. It's fine. So clearly, you know, simple things like what number comes after nine <laughs> you know, it's, this is hard stuff. We are professional podcasters. So they're uh, going to air in order. But yeah, we already recorded episode 11. You don't have to worry about that, five listeners. Today we're recording episode 10, and Liz has an update for an episode that isn't I can't even remember yet. now. But uh, So we tell, told them all about this for, for nothing? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> we might have admitted all of our foibles for no reason. But it's, I mean, it's charming, and it makes us... Is it charming? I'm going to say it is. Okay. And it makes us relatable? Sure. Sure. Yeah, whatever. But at some point, I'm going to recommend the podcast, The Fat Feminist Witch. That's in episode 11. Okay. Yeah. So look forward so to that. So this is a spoiler. Spoiler. I'm going to recommend that podcast, and I'll okay. tell you why next episode. But she talks about Ouija boards at Ooh. some point in her podcast. And unlike Dangerous Linda, she said not to worry about them. Oh, okay. That they're just a tool of communication. They're not going to like open a door to the spirit world. And let demons into your life? No. Okay. She said that that's ridiculous because they're just pieces of cardboard <laughs> and they don't have any magical properties on your own. Okay. So I just thought that was an interesting different take. Sure. Also, randomly, I was looking at books at Half Price Books in the like occult paranormal section, as mm-hmm. you do, and I saw that if you want to see ghosts, you should wear an amulet filled with lavender. Oh. So I just thought I'd pass Isn't that. Isn't that also how you, like, fall asleep? Doesn't yeah. lavender help you fall asleep? I mean, it was like, if you want to see ghosts, smell lavender. I used to work for an aromather- uh, aromatherapist. I smelled Ooh. lavender all day long. Did you ever see a ghost? No. Okay. So I'm a little bit skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> I've given my mom a bunch of lavender that she can smell to help her go to sleep. Okay. Like lavender. Has she seen any ghosts? And I don't think she's seen oh, any ghosts. Well. But I just thought I would put that out there in case someone else could try someone, it. You could try it. If you're going on a ghost hunt, maybe bring sure. a, a sprig of lavender with you. Well, we're talking about ghosts and while we're talking about things out of order, can we tell them about these books? Sure. So we're going to talk about this in episode 11, I think, briefly, too. But I just, I have to tell you, because Liz went to, was this from Half Price this Books? Was all, yeah, I just had a, an adventure Liz at Half Price Books. Liz had an adventure at Half Price Books and found these books. One is Ghostly Tales of Minnesota by Ruth D. Hine, and the other one is Ghost Stories of Minnesota by Gina Teal. Which I think that one's volume nine? It, it does say nine on the on the spine. How like, many there might ghost, be eight others. Ghost Stories of Minnesota are there? It doesn't say nine out of nine, so there even could be more than nine. We don't uh, know. I, we don't know. Apparently Minnesota is super fucking haunted, but... The Ghostly Tales of Minnesota, you guys. It's practically a pamphlet. It's it's barely a book. And the reason that this is amazing is because she dedicates it to the ghosts. <laughs> I, yeah, read the dedication. Dedication. This book is dedicated to dot, 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 the ghosts. <laughs> Without whom this collection of stories would not be possible. <laughs> we found. Fa- 
after recording, the last time we were recording, and we were like, I really wish we had discovered this while recording because it's so hilarious. It's so funny. And some of these, so the table of contents I'm looking at right now and the chapters, they're very short. They're like two or three pages of just little ghost stories. And some, uh, Grandpa's Hand (laughs) is one of them. That's creepy. Oh my God. A ghost in the drain? Question mark. Sure. I I don't want a ghost in my drain. Swamp ghosts? Listen, we don't really have swamps in Minnesota. We have like some wet, I guess wetlands could be considered swamps. We do have those, but... They're not very swampy, though. The Wizened Face is another one. Is that the book that's talking about the haunted, the haunted at the state fair? I and think s- that's the other one. So <laughs> this other book claims that the state fair is haunted, which of course it is. The Minnesota State Fair sure. is really old, and I used to spend the night there all the time because we'd show horses, and we always traded ghost stories. However, we never talked about the ghost of the little brown bird. Yeah, this book <laughs> is claiming that a brown bird Keep in mind, fairgrounds are outdoors. Yeah. Uh, that a brown bird that shows up each year is actually the reincarnation a, of... Like Dwayne, a carny who yeah, died? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Dwight. They, I don't remember they, what his name they is. They feel his spirit whenever they see this bird each year. There's just that's, birds at the fair. Like, that's it's outside. The, if you think that I'm keeping part of the story for you from you, I'm not. That's the whole story. It's the whole story. They saw a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's Dwayne. That's there he is. Uh, there has to be better ghost stories about the state fair. There has to be. If anybody has a I better one, I wish I could one. remember. I know we traded ghost stories because some of the buildings at the state fair are so old and rickety, and people like sleep in them when they stay at the fair. Yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is that if you show animals at the fair and perhaps even other things, you can stay there. Like you don't have to leave at the end of the day. Like you sleep there with your animals. So there's like a whole party that goes on at the end, like after all of is the it, actual fair is goers Is it super leave. sexy? No. <laughs> people just drink a lot. Like oh, it's not, sure. there's yeah. not that many people there. So, and like the 4-H kids, because a lot of them come from like rural really Minnesota. Far away. So they yeah. can't like get hotels. They just stay in like the 4-H building. And it's super creepy. So it's kind of like camp almost. You're sitting around telling ghost stories. And, but I can't remember any specific ones. I, so if anyone know. out there knows of some state fair ghost stories, let us know. Yeah, or perhaps it's you podcast at Gmail. If the bird thing is legit and you saw the little brown yeah, bird. Yeah, if you saw the little brown you know, bird and I, you We're going to be open-minded about that's it. That's the spirit of a carny. <laughs> That's not just a regular bird. That's a ghost bird. That's a reincarnated ghost bird who can't <laughs> leave the fair because he used to work. Like, he probably had a life outside of the fair. You know, no, just the fair. <laughs> just the fair. He, he didn't have a family. He didn't fair. have friends. He didn't have other interests. He just operated a ride. Why would he come back as a bird? Why not him There's just There's a himself? lot. I have a lot of questions. And that are not answered it, in the book. It's unsolved. Oh, it is yeah. an unsolved mystery. Is that a regular bird? Yes, but... <laughs> could it be a ghost? Could it be a ghost? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going first. Okay. This, this is episode 10. 10. Season 1, episode 10. You can watch it on Amazon. I believe also Hulu. Yes. So this whole episode is is really... There's one long mystery and then a couple little ones. So the yeah, first one... Odd. Yeah, is the um, murder... And it's Anne Sigmund and Gary Goff, which I'm going to say right off the top, at the top. Gary Goff, we don't typically give MVM to murderers, which is he a murderer or not? I mean, that's still kind of in question. Yeah. But he has, I mean, his mustache speaks for no, itself. No, it, it, it's like a, it's like two caterpillars live on his face <laughs> and are kissing right <laughs> under his nose. It's got like, he has, it's white tipped at the bottom. Like, there's ex- no way he didn't dye that. That's not a natural amount of 
I don't know. Maybe like, that's, it only goes gray at the tips. <laughs> Samantha doesn't believe me. It's like he dipped. So his mustache is so, goes all the way down to his chin on both sides. Yeah. It's extreme handlebar. And then it looks like he just dipped the ends in white paint. Yeah, it's it's super weird. I feel like because there is some doubt as to his guilt that we, he's, we, eligible, he's for, eligible for MVM. He's not a, the hands down best mustache in this episode. Yeah, it's not... He's not a through and through dirtbag to our knowledge. Right. So I think we can give it to him. If we get more information later, we'll take it away. He can be decrowned. <laughs> and there's the other thing. Can we divorce like the mustache from the man? Like, oh, it's not the mustache's fault. This guy killed someone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is the mustache winning MVM oh. or is Gary winning MVM? I mean, Gary chose. It is most valuable mustache, not most valuable guy with a mustache. <laughs> he chose to have that mustache. <laughs> That's like a pussy willow growing out of his upper <laughs> lip in two directions. I don't know. I, Listeners, a, let, let us know your opinion. a philosophical question, <laughs> Samantha. I don't know that we can answer that right here and now, but it's something to ponder. Sure. <laughs> who, who is responsible for the mustache? The mustache <laughs> itself or the man who grows it? Are we slowly losing our minds over here at Perhaps Maybe. You? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, here's what happened. Anne Sigmund is the wife of Charles Sigmund, a God-fearing man. I'm reading off of the Unsolved Mysteries wiki. This is not my own words. Which, thank you everyone at Unsolved Mysteries wiki. What would we do without we you? We would be lost and confused, even more so than we already yeah. are. Yeah, imagine. Imagine that oh. nightmare. Um, he was a, apparently a God-fearing man who had a reputation for hard work and getting along well with others. You mean at his truck farm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so it's referred to him as a truck farm. We're not entirely sure what that is. Is yeah. that just a farm that involves trucks? I don't know. They show him so- selling produce, which is normal. This is the... Not growing trucks out of a cabbage patch. Yeah. So... <laughs> I've totally derailed the, Samantha no, because from that's, her story. That's next. So sh- okay, well, okay, it talks sorry, about I'm how sorry. he had a, a series of failed relationships. Mm-hmm. Unlucky in love. I guess. So it also says that shortly after they married, Charlie sold his home and used the money to acquire a nine-acre truck farm, which they named CNAs after Charlie and Anne's initials. And it's never explained what the fuck a truck (laughs) truck farm is. I went on Reddit and people were literally, I was like, am I the only one that doesn't understand this? No, everyone is like, I just picture little baby trucks growing up into big (laughs) trucks. It's like the little piglets are running and then there's little trucks driving by. (laughs) But what I actually think it is is a regular farm and they like sold produce out of their trucks. Like at a farm, oh, like yeah, they drove yeah. to farmers markets or like on the side of the road. You know where there's like a sweet corn stand you or know, whatever. Farmers markets have really come into their own more recently, mm-hmm. so I don't. With on the, the side of the road, like you, yeah, you park like your a nice truck. Produce stand, you go, yeah. you like buy some corn and some jam. That's whatever. kind of what it looked like in the reenactment, but sure. not really explained. And why they call it a truck farm? They're not farming trucks. Anyway, we probably spent too much time on that. <laughs> it's just baffling. Charlie also took in Anne's two sons from a previous marriage, accepting them like his own and having them with live with them on his farm. I kind of don't appreciate how, like, they make Charlie seem, and I realize he died, but, like, they make him seem like this perfect figure. Why, Anne was just feathering her own nest? Yeah, that's the other thing. So... <laughs> They There's interview, a lot of phrases in this episode that I don't know what they mean. They interview Charlie's mom, who seems like a very sweet old lady, right? She's wearing, like, this baby pink, like, church dress. church dress. Yeah. 
And but she says these phrases that I don't understand what they mean. We're just not including country she, folk. Including I could tell that Anne Sigmund was just feathering her own nest. What, what does this, that what mean? What does that mean? I have no idea. I think they mean to say she was that, in it for herself. That she was in it for herself. I, or I'm like totally guessing. Yeah, maybe taking advantage of him for his money so that he could take care of her and her sons. I think. Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, a prosperous truck farm. But it becomes quickly clear that they're trying to smear Anne's character. Yeah. And make Charlie seem like things a, perfect, get a, little loco. a perfect angel. Which maybe was true. I'm not really sure. It's kind of hard to tell what's, what's real and what's not in the segment. But anyway, during the summer of 1986, Charlie began to suspect that Anne was seeing another man. Trouble continued when Anne developed a strange attraction and curiosity with demon worship and witchcraft. Which I want to make clear right away that this is all hearsay. We never yeah. hear from Anne saying that I actually worship the devil and practice witchcraft, which are totally two different things. <laughs> yeah. We only, Was she we, a pagan? Charlie is dead at this point. We There's only me. hear this from Charlie's friends and family. Yeah. So clearly this is Who biased. Her? Yeah. Yeah. We openly o- hate her. We only hear about how she is a slutty witch who is married to the devil yes. from her enemies. So mm-hmm. they're not extremely reliable sources. They think that she purposely murdered him. Yeah. So this is not exactly. And that she liked to do Satan witchcraft in their vegetable shed <laughs> in a negligee. <laughs> yeah. Here it. It was first noticed, this witchcraftery, in the dead of night when Charlie realized that a strange glow was coming from his tool shed and went out to investigate. The glow of Satan candles? Charlie walked in to see Anne in her underwear, kneeling before an image of a demon, Mm -hmm. chanting Mm -hmm. and mesmerized with a semicircle of candles around her. Typical Friday night. Yeah, it's Charlie's friend or brother, I'm not sure which, who describes this, he says that Charlie told him she was half naked. That she was half naked in a negligee, which makes me super squeaked out to hear this man say that word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, she's lighting candles and chanting in some language that he didn't understand. The unsolved mystery says that Charlie, quote, laid down the law, dragging Anne out of her chant her trance and making no further mention. This was actually not shown in the re- reenactment. Uh, there was no, no dragging. So was he like a? I don't know where that they sounds got kind this of from. abusive. It, it does, but he. It says that he soon was concerned for his marriage, and what kind of woman he married. Because a, there was a little yarn voodoo doll that his mom saw. <laughs> he allegedly found this very adorable little like super cute like cro- crocheted <laughs> little. Doll yeah. with a sewing needle sticking out of its chest. And it had like X's for eyes, you know? It looked like what you would, a voodoo doll in a cartoon might look like. And he, yeah. and his mother claimed that, that she he, used it for her worship. Yeah, apparently. She did not worship God. <laughs> yeah, that's what his mother said. Char- I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand what Charlie was telling me, but he said, Mom, listen, she doesn't worship God. I feel the need to interject here. <laughs> based on a class that I took and also a trip to the voodoo museum that voodoo is a real religion. It is. Yeah. And also does not involve dolls. No. That actually was from ancient Greece. That idea. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nothing. Voodoo, voodoo dolls is not actually a thing. That's not a thing. It's totally like a made up movie also, magic thing. Satanism? 
Wicca, Wicca and Voodoo. voodoo. Three all totally different all things. All at once. <laughs> she, she had a very broad spiritual practice. <laughs> Uh yeah. I don't I don't know that she anyone found this yarn doll, but if they did, that means zilch. The yarn doll didn't exist. He, Charlie claims that he found it on his pillow. Like there was a threat. I mean what something. they showed was pretty cute, and I would definitely put it on a Christmas tree. Oh my goodness. Yeah, apparently and according to his mom, who said that Charlie told her that Anne told him that she had used this doll in witchcraft rituals. So she didn't, but whatever. It's just funny that this is like such an extremely old-fashioned way of besmirching a woman's character. Saying that she was a, a witch whore? She was a witch whore. <laughs> you would think that even in the 80s, we would have moved. Beyond We that? wouldn't be acting like it was the 1700s. <laughs> what, Anne? She was surprising She twitch. married the devil in the moonlight. I saw her fly out a window. Like <laughs> In a surprising twist, they hunted down Anne and burned her at the stake. Yeah. No. This is ridiculous. So, uh, feeling that he had not known Anne that well before marrying her, Charlie served Anne with divorce papers, and she and her sons moved out of Crothersville, Missouri, where they had been living. Apparently, she loaded all of her possession, possessions up in a pickup truck, put her sons in the bed of the pickup truck, and sped out of town. And then that family was like, and then she took the boys away. I was like, yeah, they're her sons. Right. And of course he divorced did. her. Yeah. What they did were like, you expect was going to happen? Like this horrible witch whore then took away his children <laughs> that she had from a previous marriage. <laughs> I know. They made a big to-do about how much Charlie loved these boys. Well, Which that may be, but... Maybe, but... They're also not They'll his. figure out custody in the divorce, also. Yeah. Also, they're <laughs> not his children, right. so... Um, anyway, Anne began dating a truck driver... And retired cop named Gary Goff, which they were clearly trying to like continue to besmirch her character. Like, yeah, how they, how, they separated, and now how she's dating she someone. How dare she date else. someone after her husband divorced her? Mm-hmm. But he had a mustache too, of course. He did have a mustache. And not like, not like the a mustache winner. beard combo. Kind yeah, of. not the, not the winner. Not like a caterpillar. Gary and Anne moved in together. Charlie soon became depressed and resumed contact with Anne, but his depression and separation. Ended after Gary made a series of threatening phone calls to Charlie. Which I don't know if there's any proof of that. There really isn't proof of much in this case. No. Charlie made no effort to stop Gary by having him reported to the police for intimidation. So I don't really know who made this claim that Gary was making threatening phone calls, but there was no police. Right. No one reported it to the police, so I, I don't know. His family seems like a bunch of liars, so... Yeah, on the night of October 19th, 1986, Charlie allegedly received a phone call from Anne. She said that she was suicidal and that the boys were very upset. Charlie was with a friend that night and told her he thought he was being set up, but that he would go anyway. According to the friend, he was sober, although he was thinking about bringing a pistol with him. Yeah, this makes no sense. Yeah. Someone calls you and it's like, I'm suicidal. Maybe I should bring a pistol. Like, he was going to shoot her? Like, she can't kill herself. I'll kill her. I know a way to prevent suicide. Murder. (laughs) I I didn't understand. (laughs) And in the reenactment, he was like holding up the pistol, looking at it questioningly. (laughs) And then he's like, he shakes his head and puts it down on the table. No, I shouldn't. But also, when he shows up at the house, he, like, bursts in. Like, this is not how... If you're actually worried about someone taking their own life, you don't, like, barge into their house and start screaming at people and, like, shoving people around. Yeah, according to the reenactment, he got there in a rage, pounded on the door, 
burst open the door and then immediately started fighting Gary. But it's not clear. Yeah, did that happen? If that actually happened. Who knows? Here's what the Unsolved Mystery has to say about it. Around 3 a.m. on October 20th, Charlie arrived at Gary Goff's house, and about 20 minutes later, Gary was or Charlie was dead. Anne quickly went to a nearby police station and told them that Charlie had been shot. When authorities investigated the scene, there was evidence of a struggle with blood on the walls and floor. Charlie had been shot seven times, twice in the leg, once in the groin, once in the jaw, and once in his... Right I believe hand. it was in his left testicle, Samantha. That's what it actually said in the show. <laughs> was his left testicle had been shot. It seemed like he was really going for the junk. Uh-huh. Someone was. <laughs> kind of seems like. <laughs> so I he was I also shot in the that. neck, which was the fatal shot. Two guns were found. A thirty-two revolver was laying on the floor, and a twenty-five caliber pistol was on the top of the TV. Both of the weapons had been fired. In addition, a bloody steam iron was found in the wastebasket. Gross. When questioned, Gary and Anne said that Charlie had come into the house and demanded to be let in, or come to the house and demanded to be let in. When they refused to let him in, he forced his way in and in a drunken rage began to beat Anne. Gary then hit Charlie with an iron and shot him several times in self-defense. With two guns. Yeah, this is the part where I think, like, maybe both of them shot Gary, shot Charlie. I don't know, but we actually don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense why you would shoot him with two guns, unless maybe one ran out of bullets. Why did they him and then not let him in? Well, the only, we don't, I, I guess, do we really know? I don't it's know. It's really confusing because Charlie's friend was with him. She said he received a phone call. He told her that, I mean, he could have been lying about her saying she yeah. was suicidal. Again, why would you bring a gun to go intervene in someone's suicide attempt? Right. He, you're right. He it's all extremely convoluted. And it, it's really difficult to tell who's telling the truth because we hear all of this from secondary sources. This friend who Charlie was with said that he told her that Anne was threatening suicide. Was he lying to her? Is she lying to us? (laughs) We really don't know. Where's the doll? I want it. (laughs) So many questions. Basically, authorities are hesitant to believe the couple's story, especially when Charlie's friend was interrogated by police and she said that he had not been drinking with her. He also wasn't known to be a heavy drinker. Authorities believed that if both Gary and Anna had fired at Charlie, there would be grounds for premeditated murder charges. They did a powder residue test on Anne, um, but the re- results were inconclusive. Authorities also failed to take a blood sample from Charlie's corpse to check the blood alcohol content, so we have no way of knowing if he was drunk or not. So, I mean, it also seems like the investigation wasn't that great. A friend of Anne's soon came forward and said that Anne had reasons for wanting Charlie dead. A few days after the murder, Anne's friend was given a wire and Anne made incriminating statements suggesting that she and Gary were going to leave town. I don't see why that's incriminating. It's not, because what we also find out later is that there was no warrant and they didn't even know that the police wanted to talk to them. So they, yeah, they left town. Maybe they just didn't want to be around all you people, like who are right. accusing them of murder. Like they had, le- like they had. It wasn't illegal for them to leave town. There was no warrant for their arrest. Something you see on TV all the time, including like Law and Order, is they'll question someone about a crime, like maybe the fiance of a victim or something, and they'll say, "Okay, but don't leave town or don't leave the state." That's not enforceable. You yeah, you can't you, actually leave. <laughs> leave. <laughs> yeah that. That doesn't... Unless a judge says you can't. Right. You can. The police can't just restrict your movements because you have some sort of connection to an investigation. If you're not actually under arrest, 
You then, can leave town. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. And literally that was the incrim- quote unquote incriminating the statement. The incriminating evidence where she was like, yeah, I think I'm going to take off. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they killed him no, on purpose. No. Like, it could still have been self-defense. So it wasn't Maybe incriminating Maybe they didn't want to stay in a house where someone died. There's plenty of reasons for wanting to leave town. Maybe your kids are a little traumatized. Yeah. By this. Maybe, you're Maybe s- all the kids at their school are saying, your mom is a murderer. Like, there's lots of reasons for wanting to leave. Maybe they wanted to start their own truck farm. <laughs> you know? Oh, so, yeah. Or maybe the devil told her to leave. That's fine, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This case is, yeah, I think presented in a way that's convoluted because they treat this sort of hearsay evidence of the victim's family as if it mm-hmm. is evidence. Yeah, apparently after they left, authorities then started preparing an arrest warrant for them, but they actually had no way of knowing that there was any kind of a warrant. Uh, Gary's truck was later found abandoned in Phoenix, Arizona. Authorities, however, are still, like, authorities can't even decide whether or not Charlie's death was self-defense or murder. The only way the case can be resolved, they say in Unsolved Mysteries, is when Anne and Gary have their day in court. They have never officially been served with a warrant and may not even know that they're wanted by the police. So How they're not on the run. How dare they leave town? <laughs> they're just going about their lives. Anyway, the results are that it's still sort of unresolved. Gary Goff saw the broadcast and surrendered himself to authorities. He's told police that he broke up with Anne shortly before the broadcast and that she had apparently threatened to put satanic curses on him. Mm-hmm. Should mm-hmm. he cooperate with the police? Goff elected to plead guilty instead of going to trial, and in 1989, he was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was paroled in 2002. And then Anne was never found. She's still out there. Worshipping the devil. Presumably. Using voodoo dolls. Yep. And being a witch. A all sexy witch. at the same time. All at the same time. Which, you know. All right. Good, good for her, good I guess. For Anne. Unless she's a murderer, it's still really unclear. Did she lure Charlie there with the intention of having Gary kill him? This is the thing. I remember watching the segment with Travis and he said, what is the motive? Yeah. Which is true. Like she got away from Gary. They're getting a divorce. She's living with this other guy. Why did they, why would they want to kill him? It seemed like they really had not much contact. It kind of seems like Charlie wasn't over her. Yeah. But it, there was, there was no there clear seemed to motive be more whatsoever. motive for Charlie to go over there and be a dick than for Anne to lure him to the house. Like, he wasn't over her. She seemed to have moved on. Exactly. It didn't seem like they had so much wealth that the divorce was going to be super messy, no, right? Like, really. I, I don't see why she would kill him just to get out of that, right? It, but they, yet, in Unsolved Mysteries, they're portraying her as, like, this demon witch worshiper, and she killed him for... Satan reasons? Like, yeah. it's really convoluted there's, and just plain stupid. There's so frankly. much misogyny in this segment that if Anne is guilty, you, like, can't even see it under all the sexist bullshit, right? Because they're just not exactly. portraying her in a fair way at all. Mm-mm. So then you go, like, well, then she's not guilty. But I, I, but that's a great, like, what would her motive be? I don't see what she would get out of killing him. No clue. However, if the simplest answer is true and he got super drunk, went over there Broke down their in, door. Tried to beat up Anne, and then... Maybe they did have two guns within reach, and they both fired at him in self-defense. Yeah. That's possible. That seems... That fits the evidence. The fact that he was shot in the leg, in the testicle, in the hand, in the neck, and there was signs of a struggle. The other thing with, that we didn't mention was that, like, Gary was really beat up. He had bruises yeah. on his back. He had a 
he had a broken arm previous. This wasn't from the, the from the scuffle. Right. He was fighting with a broken arm. Their he was home cl- was very damaged mm-hmm. by the fight. Yeah. So there was yeah clearly signs of a struggle. I I feel like he got drunk and went over there. And there was a fight, and they shot. Him. And they shot him because he was fighting a woman and a guy with a broken arm. That's kind of what it seems like to me. So it's unfortunate that he ended up serving jail time, if that's the case. Yeah, because that seems like self-defense to me. I mean, yeah. It's hard to, yeah, it doesn't seem like it was very well investigated, so we kind of don't have a lot of physical evidence. It also just wasn't well presented because they presented tons of hearsay. They They, clearly tried to besmirch Anne's character. Unsolved Mysteries loved that there was this Satan witch voodoo angle. That had nothing to do with anything. Yeah, it really didn't. It's it's a domestic situation that got out of hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Is what it seems like. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's never a good thing when someone dies. I don't, you know, we're not trying no. to be flippant about Charlie's death. However, this segment was so ridiculous. Yeah, we're we're just debating the evidence as Unsolved Mysteries has presented it. Which not, is in the most ridiculous way. Not the tragedy of someone dying. an unnecessary death. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But. Yeah. So, but sometimes it's hard to take these things seriously because seriously, Unsolved Mysteries... Voodoo, Wiccan, Satanism. Negligee. In negligees in a shed. In shed worship. <laughs> so With ridic- yarn dolls. So ridiculous. So that's about all I had to say about that one. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> Let's move um, on to talking about aliens. Ah, <laughs> oh, the moment everyone's been waiting for. Oh, yeah. They probably the actually aliens. just skipped to this one. Like, uh, I don't understand why they're constantly talking about missing women. Isn't Unsolved Mysteries about aliens? <laughs> Finally it is. Yeah. So, we start with the case of Robert, Bob Matthews. Uh, they categorize this as an unusual phenomenon. Okay. I mean... He was a first-class airman, and he was preparing for his first tour of duty. He arrived at a bus, by bus in front of a market in Cape Cod. This was the evening of October 1st, 1966. The place was deserted. He used a payphone to call the base and tell them where they could pick him up. So he, it seems like he took a bus to like as far as the bus would go, and then the Air Force Base needed to come and get him the last bit of the way there. If you want to see a picture of this scene, Salty Market in Cape Cod is the, yes. is the modern day name for Dutra's Market, which is yes. where he was dropped off. Samantha, of course, you immediately see the Google Street View. was looking at this on Google Street View, and, and you'll see why in a second. Mm-hmm. So he was standing there waiting for the truck to come up. He saw some strange lights moving across the sky. It kind of looked like a fidget spinner. It sure it did. Like, it was like three lights yep. kind of spinning slowly. You know, like a UFO, right. fidget spinner, <laughs> uh, some flashlights <laughs> hanging from a tree. Um, so he got scared and called the base. Which I feel like is probably not a great way to start your tour in the Air Force. But um, yeah, he got scared and called the place and was like, please send a truck right away. There's these lights. And they're like, yeah, we already did ages ago. Where were you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I've only been here a few minutes. Well, supposedly like an hour earlier, the truck had come, looked for him, called out his name. He wasn't there. And the truck had left. So he is experiencing missing time. Dun, dun, dun. A phenomenon often talked about in UFO abduction where you, the abductee, I guess, uh, feels like basically no time has passed, but actually, in this case, an hour had gone by. Mm-hmm. So, Liz, he definitely wasn't, like, 
fucking off while he was waiting for the truck to arrive, like <laughs> drinking at a bar down the street See, and just so lost track of time and then made up the stories so that he wouldn't get in trouble. That's like why that's not what happened, right? Samantha was looking at the street view because she was like, So where did he go? <laughs> like that's not what happened, right? I, I mean, mean, it's weird that he would be sticking to that story all this time later. And I, I have guess. to I have to admit that looking at the street view, like this place kinda does look like it's in the middle of nowhere. I didn't see like a bunch of like bars on like a main street. So I Maybe something weird did happen to him, but so, I also kind of still call bullshit. I mean, he is a surprisingly serious-sounding person who talks completely in monotone, <laughs> with no emotion whatsoever. So I don't entirely get why he would be making it up, but that doesn't mean I don't think he's making it up. I mean, he also, was 19 at the time, and it sounds like the military like interrogated him after this happened. So, yeah, maybe I mean, if you really did just lose track of time because you were off doing something else, and you're like, shit, I missed my or bus. Or you're going, I don't really want to go to the Air Force. Can yeah. I get out of this at the last minute? Make up an alien story? Yeah. This kind of seems like what he did, but uh, we'll talk to another guy in a minute who doesn't think that. So this was not the only UFO encounter. That Robert had had in his life, Samantha. Mm. When he was five or six years old, he saw a glowing figure in his bedroom, and he tried to scream, but nothing came out. He lost his voice and hearing, and all of a sudden, the figure came towards him, lifted up his pajamas, did something to his chest, but when she told his mother, she didn't believe him. So Robert called this a ghost as a child, but then they did this great reenactment of him on vacation, walking up to a rack of paperback books, and then... Seeing a book by Bud Hopkins with a just basically a doodle of a gray-head alien on it and going, that's it. That's what I saw. That's what I saw as, as a child. Because apparently he had never seen a drawing of an alien before because it was the most generic drawing ever. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Bud Hopkins was w- once an artist. Mm-hmm. But saw a UFO with some friends and just sort of proclaimed himself a UFO expert. <laughs> Henceforth, I am now because the scientists aren't doing anything about this. Yes, he was very angry that the scientists aren't doing their job. They're sitting on the sidelines while we have to do the real work. I'm pretty sure they're doing science. Yeah, actual science. Yeah. Anyway, so he wrote this book that that Bob saw called Missing Time. And then he was like, oh, this is what happened to me. So Bud uh, puts him under hypnosis. Which, according to Unsolved Mysteries, looks like a great nap. He's, like, lying in a bed. He's he all cozy. So comfortable. He had, like, four pillows. Yeah, while Bud, like, slowly talks to him and... Implants memories. <laughs> implants his- memories of how he was in this sort of medical room getting examined. Then we learn sort of about Bud and how he's written these two books. One called Missing Time, one called Intruders. People write him all their, these letters about his their experiences, which is... Supposed to make him credible, I he guess. He asserted that this was incredibly common because he received like a thousand letters and he investigated 200 of them. And I'm like, you know how many people are on the, in the world, right? Like a thousand <laughs> might seem like a lot to you, bud, but like it's actually not that many. Yeah. And it seemed like people were sort of just repeating back what he had already said. Yeah. Because he put them all under hypnosis. Yeah. So they show Bob go to the scene where he saw the UFO after he's hypnotized and he remembers what happens. He went, walked up this ramp and was examined. Which are all memories that he recovered under hypnosis, right? But Hopkins is not a doctor. No, and he also claims that I'm as skeptical as anyone. No, you're clearly not because (laughs) you devoted your life to this. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't trust Bud, I'm going to say. Sorry, <laughs> Bud. I feel like Bob Matthews might not know that he's lying, but I don't I don't actually think that this happened. No, not really. Um, perhaps, yeah, he was a 19-year-old and he was just fucking around and didn't really want to go to the Air Force. Or just missed the bus and just then was like, the shit, bus, I have to make up a or story. Just, I don't know, fell asleep. Who knows? He was on leave, which is the thing. So, because in the reenactment, they show him being interrogated. Oh, that's true. And the officers are like, were you drinking while you were on leave? And Bud in the reenact or Bob in the reenactment like, was no, like, of no, of not. course not. And I'm like, mm, really, really? Were you actually? And you just made up this alien story to get out of trouble. I don't know. I have yeah. nothing to back that he up. And like, like I said, the market actually kind of does look like it's in the middle of nowhere. So who knows? Seems Maybe like a serious person, but that I, I don't know. Yeah. What about all those other people that have missing time? Yeah. Because we go to like a support group. Yeah. It sort of segues into another mystery with another person because we see a support group for people who have been abducted by aliens. (laughs) Liz is just shaking her head. I I don't. It gets even wackier. I don't want to be mean about this, but I just, I just, look, I realize the universe is very big. (laughs) And there's no reason to think that humans are the only... Intelligent life. Yeah, there's no reason to think that. But also, is there any reason to think that if aliens are coming here in ships, that they just want to probe us? That just... (laughs) And if you believe, Bud, that they're collecting our sperm and ova samples to conduct genetic experiments? perverted fantasy. I'm pretty sure that's just Bud's, like, weird... That's just what he's into, I think. Erotic alien fantasy. Um... But anyway, yeah. So it, Kristen's story. It's it segues into the story of Christina Florence, who is from Barstow, California. She is a totally normal person. She'll have you know. She is a <laughs> dance choreographer. She has she an apartment t- and she has cats. She tells us several times that she's normal, that she's not crazy, and this is completely that also she's normal and not crazy. <laughs> I mean, she says it over and over again. I guess I say that. I don't guess I don't really say that I'm normal, but I. If you have to tell us over and over again that, that I'm normal, guys, listen. Listen, I'm normal. I have cats. I guess she knows that it sounds crazy, but... Um, That's because it does. I mean... <laughs> yeah. So her... She's claimed in the support group that she's been abducted at least 10 times that she knows of. Even Liz people... Liz rolling her eyes even, she says even people at the support group were like, yeah, fucking right. <laughs> they only took me once and they took you 10 times. La-di-da, Christina. Way yeah. to brag. As she's telling her story, you can kind of see the other people in the support group behind like, her. Mm, like, I don't think so. Of course they're interviewing Christina, who was abducted 10 times. And has the world's largest headband. That's like pulling her skin back. It looked... I just got, I got a headache just looking at this headband she was wearing. It was like pulling her eyes. Either that or she got a bad facelift. I, I don't know. I think it's both. Because, yeah. Sorry, Christina. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Yep. Yep. It sounds judgmental, but I mean, yep. Christina, let your skin down. I mean, I'm, you know, we've moved on. It's a culture, fashion-wise. <laughs> this trend didn't really come back. No. The giant painful headband. Oh god! So maybe, maybe that's next I have season, migraines. folks. Well, yeah, take off your headband. It's squeezing your skull. Yeah. Unsolved mysteries. Though, though she said she'd been abducted ten times, really only talks about one case, which was her first instance where she was a child and they were driving through the Mojave Desert in 1974. She was 17 and she was in the car with her mother and her sister driving in San Francisco, and the car got overheated. 
in a park in Barstow, California, and her mother went to get water for the radiator and told her and her sister, stay in the car. So mom of the year left her two daughters in a hot car in the middle of the desert. This is so 74. When my mom was a kid, my grandfather never wanted to go to a gas station with his four children, so he would just fucking run out of gas in the middle of deserts and in the middle of nowhere and then why didn't he want to go to the gas station because the The children ask for candy or something yes so he would rather run out of gas in the middle of deserts and in the middle of nowhere and then walk to a gas station to get gas just leaving the children behind my mom has some story about them hiding under the car in the middle of the desert trying to stay cool oh my god It's, well, no wonder. It's amazing that aliens didn't come down and snatch them. Yes, because so what Christina says happens is they're waiting in this boiling hot car <laughs> for their mom to come back. One of them sees something. They try to get away. What? But what they remember next is that they're just both lying peacefully on a blanket in the park. And then their mother comes back and they drive away as quickly as possible. Can we please just talk about the reenactment for a second? Yes. Where little baby Christina, like the actress who plays her, dramatically turns around in the car and it zo- slow zooms in on her face. And, and then this- you see the blue glow from assuming a, a UFO. This Ye- dramatic music playing in the background. I don't know if it was her she has, like, or her cricket sister bangs. is wearing the world's largest <laughs> barrette, which I used to always do also. So. Oh yeah, the base of the neck. Yeah. I mean, guys, watch this this episode just for the reenactments. They're pretty good. Oh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that her and her sister got heat stroke. And hallucinated. And hallucinated. I think so. Waiting in this hot car. Or maybe just passed out and that was the missing time. Or they're just severely dehydrated. (laughs) Or they fell asleep. Yeah. I mean, mean, probably not aliens. She was also hypnotized by Bud and then remembers a little bit more. I don't know. (laughs) She was also in like a, it's the, they were saying that because all of these recovered memories are the same or very similar where, you know, it's clinical, there's aliens, they poke you, they probe yeah. you, that that means these people are telling the truth. Yep. Except that Bud hypnotized all of them. Right. So of course, whatever he's suggesting to them, they're all going to have similar memories. Right. Her memory is very similar to Bob's memory. She remembers being examined on a medical table. This psychologist is certain that Christina is legitimate and that her story is completely true. And when Samantha asked me, is this woman a psychologist? I said, not everyone is good at their job. (laughs) Yeah, the little, like, name thing that they flash across the screen when they show someone for the first time said, clinical psychologist. I'm like, and she's... I've interviewed at least 10 she, she's, lost time and victims. Seven, she believes like seven of them, and Christina was one of them. I'm she like, found extremely credible. Really? There's psychologists like this? Yes. Ugh. Samantha, I kind of don't want to live in this world. There's <laughs> lots of people who are really bad at their jobs. That's true. I once had mono, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor told me that I needed new friends. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, the because real... they gave you mono, or she was, no? She was like, the real problem with your life is that you have no direction. Because That's why you're tired. You need to like change your life. You need to change the people you hang out with. Oh my god! Yes. What? I needed to change my major. I needed to like. I'm just looking at Liz in disbelief. Yeah. 
So what happened? And that person, I'm on the edge. That person is a, is a medical doctor. So what did you do? After? Did you go to a different doctor? No, I just like stormed out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll get better. Whatever. <laughs> I'll change my life. I'll cure change myself Which, of First mono. of all, if that was my real problem, that's called depression. <laughs> right? Like if the reason I was tired was because of like I was unhappy with my life, that's called depression. That's not called... Get new, get, get new friends. The medical advice. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> oh, this world yeah. is. Oh god. So and I'm. I don't even I'm know. sure that woman is still treating people. She actually Suck. did. I don't even think my brother had mono, but she gave him a similar speech when he needed like <laughs> a a checkup to go to school a couple years later. He's like, lady, just sign a piece of paper that says I'm Yeah, it's healthy. like, just say I got my shots. And she was like, no, no, you got to pull yourself up from your bootstraps or whatever. Like, lady, I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so horrified. Okay. I like that I just interjected that weird <laughs> personal anecdote. But it's just proof that just because someone has a fancy title doesn't, doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Oh, God. So that's the aliens. I don't know that I have anything more to say about that. I, I don't. Back in my X-Files days, I had so much crap with, like, the gray alien face on it. I had this metal, like, almost like a lunchbox purse that I had put all these cool alien stickers on it. And I wore it to my family reunion. Guess what I got from every single member of my family for Christmas that year? Alien shit? Purses. Different. (laughs) They're like, you should carry this You should really use this purse instead. Yup. Every single member of my family. Gave me a purse for Christmas. <laughs> oh my god! I wish I still had that. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my god! These anecdotes are better than the mystery. Well, this episode we need some laughs because we're about to talk about something really depressing. This, honestly, the first time I watched the segment Samantha is about to talk about, I almost cried. Oh, like it's really I, oh. so. Like grab your dog. Grab mm-hmm. a teddy bear. I don't know. Fortunately, it's really short, but it's really it sad. It's really sad. I don't even... It's also another one that's really confusing, but... So this is the story of Rajist Kane. People call him Roe. He was born on October 12th, 1924. He had always hoped to create a better life for his seven children. In 1958, he moved from Mississippi to Los Angeles and was able to give his children advantages that he wasn't able to before. His children stated that he was always a loving, caring father to them. By 1986, Rajas was 62 and worked for the Department of Parks and Recreation. For some reason in the reenactment, they showed a guy raking leaves with a hard hat. I don't think that's actually how Rajas did his job. (laughs) Maybe. I don't think you need a hard hat to rake leaves. That's how the Parks and Rec Department (laughs) works. They just left that out of the show. But basically, they described him as a super hard worker. He... He seemed like a really nice ass guy. Off to give his seven children a good life. He had the biggest smile. This picture of him looks like a it's guy adorable. that you just want to know. Yeah. He seems so happy and jolly, and that makes it He was all clearly the more really sad. connected to his family and really loved his kids and his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which just makes this worse. Yep. Um, on the afternoon of February 18th, 1986, he left his home telling his sister that he was going to a hardware store. However, he never returned. Since his disappearance, several clues have surfaced to suggest that he may be still alive. On February 19th, 
So the next day, he called a neighbor and told her that he was not feeling well and could not get to work, which immediately alarmed him. She's like, "Why are you calling me to tell you to tell me this?" Yeah. So when they when he didn't come home then, her and his family called the police. 2 days later, a private security company in an affluent neighborhood spotted a man who they believed to be Rajas. The man appeared confused and gave the officers a phone number that belonged to his sister Teresa. However, when Teresa then came to pick him up, her brother was gone. So the security officer, That's I'm kind of blaming so for this. frustrating. Because he didn't stay with him. He saw this man who appeared confused and could only tell him a phone number, called the phone number, said, like, come get this guy, and then he just left. Yeah. They couldn't like, you don't feel any responsibility put him in a car to, or something? Or just, like, keep at least an wait, eye on for him for a little bit? At least wait with him until she gets there. Clearly he didn't really understand where he was. I realized it was a private security. Like, or call the police so they could sit with him. Right. Don't just leave him. Just let him wander away or whatever. Yeah. A month later, his car was found parked on a busy street 22 miles from home. All of his papers, including his GI Bill, the deed to his property, his insurance policies, his glasses, his false teeth, it was all in this car. There were also pieces of paper that had his daughter's phone number written several times, like over and over and over again. They said it seemed like he was trying to remember the phone number. The gas station next to the abandoned car, authorities learned that Rajas had talked to a mechanic on the day after he disappeared. The mechanic said that he repaired parts of Rajas's car and that Rajas paid him in cash. The mechanic said that Rajas was slurring his speech and walking strangely. <sighs> he last saw him walking down the street away from the gas station. Authorities and Rajas' family believe that he may have suffered a stroke and that he may be experiencing memory loss. Authorities discovered that Rajas' telephone credit card had been used several times since he was seen by the security company. Strangely, the calls he made were to people that had placed help wanted ads in the local newspaper and not to his family, which is very odd. They believed that perhaps he became lost and confused and kind of reverted back to this instinct he had to get work because he was such a hard worker. It seems like he knew he was supposed to go to work, right? Because he like called the neighbor to say, I'm not going to be able to come to work. Mm -hmm. And at some point... That got confused into I need to I need find to work, work. I need to go to a work right yeah. like oh. and he was like writing down his sister's number over and over again. They found yeah. that in the car. Which like he is, was trying to remember it or trying to remember what it meant. Which is weird that like he was writing her number over and over again, and then he didn't call her. Yeah, but I guess but the, he called these help wanted the security ads. company. Is that who the security company called his sister? It's confusing to me because they mentioned his daughter's phone number and they mentioned his sister's okay. phone number. They called his sister to come get him, and when she arrived, yeah. he was gone. And then they said that he was writing his daughter's oh, phone number, but he didn't call his daughter. He didn't call his daughter. Huh. He called these help wanted ads. So, okay. but I mean, he's, who knows what's what's going not, through someone's yeah. mind? You know, he's if, having trouble sorting the information that he has. Exactly. They think that perhaps he may have been picked up by law enforcement or a paramedic and transported to a hospital for medical treatment as a John Doe. They said maybe he's still being taken care of somewhere. I kind of thought that that was just wishful thinking. Because they have no evidence. They they don't know what happened. They were saying, you know, it's possible if he had a stroke and he doesn't remember who he is, he could be somewhere as a John Doe. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't know. Yeah. But that's another one of those, like... Why do they always want it to be amnesia? Because that's like the best 
Kate, that that's how they could still be alive. Right. It's a better scenario than he yeah. he died from exposure or yeah. you know, he's wandering the streets. Like maybe he's being taken care of at a hospital and he just doesn't right. know who he is. Like that's we'll, we'll go find him. That's and not then, great, but it's better than some alternatives. Yeah. So that's basically where the episode ends. They're trying to find him. There is a a minor update. Uh, an unsolved mysteries viewer called to say in a neighborhood in Topeka, Kansas, there was a guy named Elmer Jackson who may be Rajist. Apparently, he resembled the photo. He had a scar somewhere on his body that only the authorities and Rajas's family knew about. Yeah. Apparently, a truck driver had dropped this guy who was going by the name of Elmer Jackson off in town. And El- this Elmer guy was doing odd jobs. And unfortunately, he disappeared before police could question him. They, they got there within days. Some of Rogers's family, I think his son, flew there to help with the search. But this guy had just disappeared. And that was it. Um, they it's, didn't find anything from him. He was declared legally dead 10 years after the Unsolved Mysteries segment aired. Um, he's still considered a missing person on the Doe Network, which is like a, a network of, oh, okay. of missing persons. There is a grave that people found on like it wasn't a find a grave website, but it was a similar website. I was reading okay. the comments on unsolved.com and they were questioning whether or not his body had been found. So someone act, someone in the comments actually said that they contacted the Doe Network and checked to see if a body had been found. The Doe Network said, we don't know anything about this grave. It's possible that after his family had him declared legally dead, that they, they wanted a grave, that they had a ceremony yeah. and, and made a, you know, a marker for him, which is really depressing. People in the comments were speculating that, you know, maybe the family wanted closure and that's why they had him declared legally dead. Um, he was old and clearly you know, from all, by all evidence, was suffering from a medical condition when he disappeared. So in all likelihood, he did pass away. Just we don't really know it's a how long after sad, he disappeared. Yeah. You know, was he actually wandering around what out there confused, him? working odd jobs? It's incredibly depressing. And you don't want to think that your loved one might just wander off one day not knowing who they are. And he seemed like such a nice guy. His family loved him. He loved them. It's, yeah, it's tragic. it seems like he had a good life, and it's awful that this is the conclusion of it. It's it's a brutal viewing experience because you get this update where they're like, he was spotted, and his son flew in, and we're going to find... And then it's like, he was never found. Yeah. You're like, oh, fuck. I was really hoping for a happy ending at the end. I know, you kind of get this teaser, like, and It's maybe. like, oh, no. Actually, the universe is chaotic and terrible. There's no hope for anyone. <laughs> Yeah. The lesson of Unsolved Mysteries. Life has no meaning. So he does have a Find a Grave page. I just pulled it up. He was a World War II vet. He was in the Navy. Um, They have a a nice picture of him. And he has a memorial in the Los Angeles National Cemetery. Oh, okay. So it's just an an, um, in memory of Rajas Kane, U.S. Navy, World War II and then it cites his death as February 19th, 1993, which is when he was declared legally dead. The cemetery looks really lovely. So if you live in L.A., maybe, maybe stop by, bring him dro- some flowers. Drop off some flowers. Um, yeah, that's a, a really depressing one. That's, it's awful. If you watch this episode for the aliens, just get ready that at the end there's kind of a bummer yeah. of a segment. 
This episode also had an update about the boys on the oh, tracks case. Oh, I forgot case. about that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Mr. Walrus comes back. Yes. And he's lost a little weight. He's looking good. He's looking good. Actually, we were kind of, we were like, is that, is that Walrus? Is that, <laughs> is that Officer Garrett? Or was he a, a prosecutor? Prosecutor he was Garrett. Prosecutor, uh, Richard Garrett. Yes. Yeah. He comes back to give Robert Stack an update on the case in front of a map. Robert Stack is clearly not really listening. And Robert Stack has this thousand yard stare. He's just trying to look really serious the whole time. Um, it's not really any information that we didn't talk about when we talked about the mystery a few no. episodes ago. Um, but, but it's just letting the unsolved mystery viewer know that the boys' deaths were definitely homicide, mm-hmm. that it seemed to be that they were connected to some sort of drug. The murders were connected to some sort of drug crime, not that the boys were, and that perhaps they had stumbled upon a crank lab. <laughs> I guess that's where you make crank. Yeah. You make, <laughs> you make delicious crank. I don't think that's what we call it anymore. No, but. we've moved on from that. Um, I liked how he like didn't, he didn't want to come up, because Robert says, was there a cover up? And he didn't want to come out and say yes, you could tell. Right. Because that wouldn't be, I think, politically advantageous to so anyone. So he's, he's sort of but like, he kind of it's danced either around. that or it wasn't done right. It's sort yeah. of like. He says there was definitely a cover up initially, but whether it was intentional or if it was just because they were stubborn. He had yeah. we- he weirdly danced around the answer of yes, there was a cover up. Yes, there clearly was a cover up. But he, I like that he acknowledged the families. He said the families have been hollering for for years yeah. about how something's not right here and no one listened to them. And that's absolutely true. That mm-hmm. Without the family's perseverance, the, the case would have just been rolled in an accident. I like that Richard Garrett still had the walrus mustache. It was a little more trimmed than it was originally. Yeah, but I, don't, I don't know that he would be MVM anymore because he, he tamed it a little. He, he tamed t- the walrus a little yeah. bit. But yeah, that that's included if you're interested in an update to that case. That mm-hmm. very weird he case. He unfortunately which, didn't blame Hillary Clinton. No, I was waiting for that where he would say <laughs> new evidence has come to light. It was actually Hillary Clinton herself <laughs> rolling the boys onto the tracks. When this update started, I was like, I kind of never want to hear anything about this case. <laughs> I looked over and Liz was just <laughs> exasperated. Like, uh, She's like, I can't get away right. from the boys on the tracks. I, yeah, I don't know how people did the research for those books because oh it's just, Something. you would end up with like murderers always have those collages all over their walls, you know, <laughs> or that beautiful mind thing with all of the string, just oh, like yeah. trying to track every aspect of this case would Ooh. drive me insane and I, I, hours, I think. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's, should, that's episode should 10. Should we rate the episode? Let's rate it. So mysteriousness. Hmm. Not super mysterious. It's it's hard for me to say if the first one was mysterious because of how poorly it was presented. Yeah. And how you have no clue who's telling the truth. It seems like there's a simple explanation when you kind of boil it down. But right. also there's weird things. That- I... The missing time, I just think, is bullshit. I mean, I guess I'm <laughs> glad it inspired the first episode of The X-Files. <laughs> Uh, the Rogers Kane thing is kind of sad. It's sad, but I mean, it is kind of mysterious. It is kind of mysterious, but it's more just sad. I'm so, going to give it a sideways on mysterious. I'm, th- I'm a thumb sideways too. I, I agree with that. 
Um, What's our the next reenactments? Category? Is oh, the, the next category. I, Pretty I, good. I would say good because you get to see witchy negligee action. <laughs> oh, you get to see UFOs. Yep. You get to see what else? There was the dramatic car scene with the little girls. Oh yeah, yeah. Was... I think for the UFO reenactments, it's worth it. So I'll give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. A hesitant thumbs up, but yeah, a thumbs not, up nonetheless. It's not my most enthusiastic thumb, but. Uh, <laughs> Fashion and mustaches. Oh, thumbs up for fashion. There was some sweet denim jeans. There was the. You have to see the support group for the <laughs> UFO abductees. That's fat. That's big fashion. There was quite a bit of blue eyeshadow. Yes, yes, and some good mustaches in that group as well. There were quite a few mustaches. MVM hands down is Gary. Yeah. With his caterpillar, we cannot deny that mustache. It's glorious. It's really something. How do you feel about Robert Stack's fashion? He He sports a more casual look he in this did. episode. He which the, I, I, it, it shocked <laughs> me to my core. He was wearing kind of like a, a windbreaker. Yeah. Over like a, some, some, he always wears the high-waisted khaki pants. He's just dressed like someone's dad a little bit more. Uh-huh. He had a trench coat off. In, right in, in, the, yeah. in the opening and then a, and then a suit in the, in the middle mystery. So. I guess I'm going to give it a thumbs up. For, for surprising me? Or maybe a okay. thumb sideways. I'm a thumb sideways, but yeah. I, we're just, we've gotten so used to the suits that it's almost like anything else is a thumbs up, even yeah. though it was kind of lackluster. Oh, I, I think you're right, sideways. So fashion, thumbs up. Robert Stack's outfits, thumb mm. sideways. Yeah, that's fair. Overall, how do you rate this out of Robert Stack's? This episode is confusing. I'm really confused about I how wish, I feel about it. I wish the alien segment was not so long. Like, it basically goes from one alien mystery to another because they're... I didn't need to. ...connected by this hypnotist. Yeah. Slash artist, slash author, slash nutjob. Self-described alien expert. Yeah. Um. So that is going to knock it down for me. I don't know how I feel about the first one. The first one... I'm so sad about Rogers. Yeah. The aliens I, I don't give a shit about. So. I guess I'll say a three. Yeah, I'm like a two and a half. Well, uh, do I? I don't. I don't, I don't hate I it. I don't dislike it. I'm I just, so conflicted. I'll yeah. do a, th- a three out of five. I Robert feel like Stacks. it's just a real mixed bag. Yeah, three out of five. Robert like, Sacks feels right to me. <laughs> you feel it <laughs> in your gut. How many Robert Stacks is this? <laughs> what would Robert Stack himself say? He'd I mean, probably give him five out of five every. He would episode. just be staring dead into the distance, <laughs> Robert Stack's like, dead eyes, as serious as possible oh while people update him on the boys in the tracks mystery. Yeah, that um, was pretty amusing. We should probably start doing this in front of a map, <laughs> just so it looks official. And while one person is talking, the other person is just staring blankly at them. Or just it. kind of past them, actually. Past them. Yeah, just like this into the horizon. <laughs> Liz is doing that right At the now. whole time. Imagine that. Okay, that's all we have for today. An, a recommendation. Do you have one? Yes, I do have a recommendation. I am going to recommend the artist Brett Manning. She is from okay. Indiana. B R E T? B R E T T. Two T's, okay. Then Manning spelled, I think, the way you would assume it was spelled. Okay. Um, I first became aware of her work at a Chicago zine fest a few years ago. Mm, okay. So she, I don't even know that she really makes zines so much anymore, but she's a painter. Um, she makes these really great candles. She makes, like, little bats, like little cloth sculptures of bats. Oh. But, this appeals to me. <laughs> yeah, they're really cute, too. But the reason that I brought her up, and I ha- I don't have a copy of this book, but she has 
a book called We Are Not Alone, which is her illustrations of cryptozoology. So that seemed like something to me that would appeal to the Unsolved Mysteries viewer. It's her own book. She did it entirely herself. And it's just her interpretations of different mysterious, possibly real animals and such. And being from Indiana, she does a lot of stuff about the Indiana Beast, which is their kind of like local Bigfoot. I oh, guess. Okay. Though it seems to have antlers. Huh. Why not? I, yeah. I'm I'm not personally familiar with the Indiana <laughs> Beast outside of her work. So, yeah. I just... That's... There's apparently a lot of Bigfoots in Minnesota. Did you know this? No. Yeah. There was an episode of Bigfoot Hunters that is in Minnesota. Or maybe perhaps multiple episodes of Bigfoot Hunters. Should we go hunt Bigfoots? I it sounds like we'd have to be in the woods to do that. Oh, yeah. That sounds awful. I'm, have you I'm seen that, that show where Rob Lowe and his sons are, like, looking for Bigfoot? <laughs> I've and... heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. And it just its existence amuses me to no end. Because I just find Rob Lowe, like, both intentionally funny, but also unintentionally <laughs> funny. Yeah. It's like his former Brat Pack pretty boy <laughs> self. So the idea that the guy that was, like, playing that saxophone so fakely in St. Elmo's Fire in this, like, cut-off tank top with bats on it, it's so weird. Go look it up. Oh, my goodness. That that guy is, like, wandering around the woods with his, like, pretty boy face looking for Bigfoots. <laughs> oh, my God. It amuses me to no end. My a fr- An old friend of mine, Jen, we've joked about Rob Lowe for, oh, my God, like, decades now. And she found out that he was coming to her town for a book signing. Oh. And her joke was that she was going to just dress as Bigfoot and sit in the audience. (laughs) Every time I think of that now, just like a rows of normal people on folding chairs and just her in a Bigfoot costume. (laughs) And I was like, would you say anything? And she was like, no, I would just point at him. (laughs) Yes. So I, my recommendation, strangely, my recommendation is not that show because I haven't seen it, but just its existence makes me happy. Sure. But if you're looking for some kind of spooky, unusual art, I would say check out Brett Manning. I know she has an Etsy. She has a website that I think is Brett, Brett with two T's, is a girl. Okay. Com. <laughs> okay. And then you can see her different shops and activities and nice. stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Great suggestion. So I'm suggesting a book. Which is one we're reading for book club this month. Oh, yeah. I think Liz may have started it already as well. I have not, but I'm really looking forward to it. In honor of O.J. Simpson's release from prison, I am recommending... (laughs) A suspicious occasion for us all. I'm recommending the book Without a Doubt by Marsha Clark. Uh Uh-huh. I have never read anything by Marsha Clark. I know she's written a lot. That's kind of what she went on to do after she left the prosecutor's office. Right. After this entire thing. Was such a... I'm sure, demoralizing and horrible experience. Yep. So I haven't read any of her other books, but she's gone on to write a lot. So I assumed that she was a good writer and I was correct. She is fantastic. And I'm especially recommending the audiobook. One, because that's how I consume books. Sure. But two, because Marsha Clark reads it. Oh, yeah. She is so sassy (laughs) and snarky. And I love it. It's a pretty short read. It's about five hours long. I'm not quite done. But she basically talks about the case in her own words. Most of us, if you're a true crime addict, you know a lot about the O.J. Simpson trial and case and the murders of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman. 
But to hear it told from her perspective, and she also just throws in things that are just like, like, I want to say like behind the scenes, but things like, you know, how her relationship with the investigators were or how she had reservations about what the invest, you know, what the police were doing at the scene. And, you know, but she didn't want to say because, you know, if you step on the toes of the investigators, they don't help you when you go to trial. Like all these kinds of things, just like in her own words. And yeah, if you haven't read anything by Marsha Clark, I think I'm going to maybe explore some of her other books after oh, reading okay, this. Oh, okay, cool. She, I also didn't realize that she just wrote this. This came out in 2016. Oh. and it, I thought this came out ages ago. No, so she kind of talks about it a bit in the book. She sort of describes how she's finally at a point in her life where she is ready okay. to put it all down and to tell her story. Interesting. So it's taken her a long time to get to a point where she feels enough closure, I think, to say, you know, this is my story. This is what I went through. This is how angry I am that justice was not served for Nicole and Ron Goldman. Um, I think it's a fantastic book. I think it's a great time to get it and read it. And if you have Amazon Prime and you haven't done a free trial of Kindle Unlimited, this is one of the books you can get for free. Oh, okay. On Kindle, yeah. if you sign up for Kindle Unlimited. So you can do the free trial, get it for free. The audiobook, I think I got it during an Audible sale, but it's not that expensive. Highly recommend hearing it from Marsha Clark if you enjoy audiobooks. It's really good. Hmm. That's my recommendation. Thank you, Samantha. I'm looking forward to reading this book because I enjoyed watching The People vs. O.J. Yes, Simpson that was so, so much. good. It's so good. If you haven't seen it, you absolutely have to see it. The acting is just incredible. Even though you know what's going to happen, it's just mm-hmm. put together in such a compelling way. I'm so excited for the next season because they're doing oh. another. So it's American Crime Story. The first season is the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. It's so good. The acting is incredible. It's Marsha Clark. Unbelievably amazing. Fantastic. Um, they're doing, the next season is going to be the Versace murder, which I actually don't know that much about. So I'm excited. The sets and outfits in that are I'm going so to be excited. amazing. I cannot wait. Yeah. But I was young enough during the OJ Simpson trial that it really, watching it again, and this is a sort of fictionalized account, made me realize how much of the betrayal of Marcia Clark was so sexist. Yeah. In a way that I just wouldn't have been aware of at the time mm-hmm. because... I was a child. <laughs> so yeah. if you don't, I it mean, was a very eye opening experience to be like, oh, that's why no one was taking her seriously. Yeah. So I'm very interested in hearing her talk about it in her own words because I think she really got scapegoated she did. for things that were not her fault. Mm-hmm. That's all we have for you this I think week. So follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Perhaps It's You. If you have any spooky stories or crime stories or paranormal tales you want to pass our way, that's perhaps it's you podcast at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you. Check out our website, perhaps it's you.com. Liz is doing a fantastic job of recording all our recommendations. I'm really not, but if you can't remember something that we recommended and you want to find it again, they're all there. She's too humble. The website looks great. <laughs> Go check it out. Um, leave us a review. If you want to review us out of Robert Stacks, we'll appreciate five out of five Robert Stacks on iTunes. Yes, five really star helps us reviews out. only, please. <laughs> uh, that's all. <laughs> we, I think that's it for today. See you next Solve time. Solve some mysteries, y'all. Bye. Bye.